Hi, this is Corbin Granger and Barbara Jennings from Town Benefits, a subsidiary of Town Bank, and you are listening to an episode of HR on Mike. We're here to help employers navigate the complicated maze of human resources and compliance requirements by offering common sense analysis and suggestions on a variety of HR and compliance questions. Thank you for listening today. Remember, we're not lawyers or accountants, so our content is not legal or tax advice, but is for educational purposes only. Always consult an expert when you need legal or tax help. Anyone who has raised a toddler or who has been a toddler probably knows about Sesame Street, the beloved children's television show that's been teaching kids colors, letters, and life lessons for over 50 years. One of the features of the show is Letter of the Day, where one of the letters of the alphabet is pictured, talked about, and sung about during the show. Now, if you're a human resources professional working on HR Street, you know that on HR Street, there's not just one letter of the day, but that there are many letters every day. And today we're going to talk about some of our favorite letters, F, M, L, and A, FMLA. Letters that we often talk about, but that rarely make us want to sing. Yes, today on HR on Mike, we're talking about some commonly misunderstood features of the FMLA, and that is the Family and Medical Leave Act. Maybe this episode won't make you exactly burst into song, but we hope it will make your life on HR Street a little easier. I'm Compliance Specialist Corbin Granger, and with me today is my podcast partner, Barbara Jennings, who is an HR consultant to our clients here at Town Benefits. For the past few years, I think it's safe to say that the FMLA is the number one source of questions from our clients. And Barbara, what is it that makes this law so confusing? You know, Corbin, I think that some of our clients probably have their own list of what they find confusing, but two things instantly come to my mind that make FMLA a serious challenge. First of all, the law is just complicated. The FMLA resource guide that I use most frequently, um, the Department of Labor's Employer's Guide to the FMLA, that thing is over 70 pages long. It's a great resource and it's very well put together. And honestly, I send the link to that document um, regularly to our client. So I obviously highly recommend it. But you know, its length alone is intimidating. And then the second complicator is the frequency with which FMLA questions come up. Most employers have employees that have babies, they have surgery, they have intermittent medical needs like physical therapy or chemo, and they have family illnesses. So an employer can have lots of exposure to FMLA and to further complicate matters, you know, every situation is different. So to make things a bit simpler, as I said, we've put together a list of the six most misunderstood things about FMLA in no particular order. But let's first have a quick summary of what FMLA is. The Family and Medical Leave Act entitles eligible employees of covered employers to take unpaid, job-protected leave for specified employee health conditions and the health conditions of family members. It also covers certain situations experienced by members of the U.S. military. During approved FMLA leave, group health insurance must be maintained under the same terms and conditions as if the employee had not taken leave. So now here's the countdown. All right. First on our list is what makes an employee qualified for FMLA. Um, an FMLA covered employee is an employee who, number one, works for a covered employer. 
the employee has worked for the employer for at least 12 months. And by the way, those don't have to be consecutive months. It really is basically in the last seven years that they've worked a total of 12 months. Um, the third qualifier is that the employee has worked at least 1,250 hours in the last 12 months. And then finally, the employee works at a location where the employer has at least 50 employees within 75 miles. Now, this one can be easy to overlook so make sure you address that in your employee communications, like your FMLA policy, your handbook, that sort of thing. And in just a second, we're going to talk more about this. Yeah, thanks, Barbara. Um, I think you took care of the easy part. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. There really isn't that much about FMLA that's easy. So occupying the number two slot on our FMLA countdown is, what's the significance of the 50 employees and the 75 miles? In a nutshell, the number 50 applies to the employer. If an employer has 50 or more employees on the payroll, and that's a headcount, for 20 or more weeks this year or last year, then the employer is an FMLA-covered employer. If the employer is a public or private elementary or secondary school, then the employer is an FMLA-covered employer without regard to the number of employees. It doesn't matter where in the U.S. those employees work. What matters is the 50 total employees. Now, 75 miles applies to the employee. Does the employee seeking FMLA work at a work site that has a total of 50 employees within 75 miles? When it comes to remote work, the home office is not the work site. For FMLA purposes, the work site is the office the employee reports to or the site where their assignments originate. Remember that the FMLA-covered employer can be more generous and choose to provide FMLA to employees at smaller work sites. Just make sure you spell that out in your policy in the handbook. So let's say your company has three locations in the U.S., 15 employees in Virginia, 52 employees in Nevada, and 20 employees in South Carolina. First, is this employer an FMLA-covered employer? Yes, the company has 87 employees total. So next which, if any, employees may be qualified for FMLA. Well, in this scenario, only the Nevada office employees would have to be covered by FMLA. All of the offices are at least 75 miles from any other office, so only Nevada has 50 employees within 75 miles. However, since the employer is FMLA-covered, over 50 employees total, the employer does need to post the FMLA poster in all offices, even though no one qualifies for FMLA other than Nevada at this time. But um, remember, again, the employer can decide to be more generous and extend FMLA to the otherwise qualified employees in both Virginia and South Carolina if they so choose. Now, how does FMLA define a family member? The employees of an FMLA-covered employer are able to take FMLA leave for, number one, their own serious health condition, and number two, the serious health condition of a family member. And under this law, the family member is defined as a parent, a son or daughter, or a spouse. And this includes what's called um, a Latin phrase, in loco parentis, which means someone who has acted in the place of a parent. So, for example, if you were raised by your aunt and uncle and they stood in for your parents, then in this case, you could probably use FMLA for you know, if one of them had a serious health condition. So you could take time off to care for them under you know, their uh, serious health condition situation. And this brings up something that can be a source of confusion. While FMLA is a federal law, and that means it applies throughout the United States, um, some states have now passed their own family leave laws, and the definition of family member varies from federal to state and from state to state. 
And if you have employees in a state with a different definition of family member, you need to abide by the law that works to the greater um, advantage to the employee. So for example, the FMLA does not typically cover the serious health condition of, let's say, the employee's grandparents. However, in New York State, that state's paid family leave law does cover paid time off to care for grandparents. So once again, if you're a multi-state employer, you need to become familiar with the family leave laws in the states where you have employees. And so how is the 12-month period calculated? Well, let's talk here about the hard part. The employer may use any of the following methods to establish the 12-month period. First is the calendar year, a 12-month period that runs from January 1st through December 31st. Or second, any fixed 12-month period, such as a fiscal year. The third and fourth methods are individualized, which does increase your record keeping. Third is the 12-month period measured forward. And last, or fourth, a rolling 12-month period measured backward from the date an employee uses any FMLA leave. Now, the first two methods have every employee on the same annual schedule. With the second two methods, everyone is on an individual schedule based on their personal FMLA usage. This helps prevent what's known as stacking, where an employee could conceivably use up to 24 consecutive weeks which is possible if you use a fixed 12-month period. The Department of Labor's FMLA Employer Guide that we've mentioned gives a detailed example of the four methods and also provides a really helpful graphic. Note that employers should publish the method used and must give at least 60 days notice to employees if they are going to change the method and never change the 12-month period in order to dodge an FMLA request. All right, next is the question, does the employee have to specifically ask for FMLA leave? Well, I would say, hmm, this is a trick question because the way the law is worded can leave you with a mixed impression. Okay, so on one hand, the law says, and I quote from the FMLA poster, that generally employees must give 30 days advance notice of the need for FMLA leave. If it's not possible to give 30 days notice, the employee should notify the employer as soon as possible and generally follow the employer's usual reporting procedures. However, it's not that simple. The employer is expected to know more about FMLA than any given employee knows. And really, if you think about it, this makes sense. Um, any given employee might only experience the need for FMLA, you know, two or three times during their whole career, while the employer will probably encounter FMLA dozens of times, you know, depending on company size. So for that reason, under certain circumstances, the employer has the duty to initiate FMLA, whether or not the employee has specifically asked for it. So for example, um, let's say that HR hears that Chris had an auto accident over the weekend, then he's in the hospital. Having that knowledge, the employer should not wait for Chris to request FMLA. First, I, if it were me, I would go check Chris's file and make sure that he does uh, satisfy all the other requirements for, you know, for being eligible for FMLA. And if so, try to contact Chris and then go ahead and send the FMLA paperwork. And again, if it were me, I would try to have a conversation with Chris as soon as possible to see how he's doing, to make sure that the paperwork got there, and to see if he has any questions. You know, I always prefer to talk with employees, either face-to-face -face or on the phone, give them a chance to ask questions, that sort of thing. Um, now, if someone has an is an inpatient in the hospital, it's going to be a pretty safe bet that that's going to be a serious health condition by FMLA standards. Now, another example might be an employee who mentions that she's worried about her young daughter who's going to 
have a series of medical tests run over the course of the next few weeks. Again, after confirming that the employee is eligible for FMLA, you should take that employee aside and talk about the situation. Explain that the testing will probably qualify for intermittent FMLA and just make sure that you try never to take a negative action. That would be something like discipline, refusing the time off, termination, and that sort of thing against an employee because they didn't specifically ask for FMLA. And is FMLA paid or unpaid leave? The Family and Medical Leave Act specifies that FMLA is unpaid leave. While the law requires that the employee's health insurance continue for the duration of FMLA and that the employee be reinstated to the same or an equivalent job, it does not require the leave time to be with pay. Having said that, however, the employer may allow or even require the employee to use their paid leave concurrent with FMLA leave. Then there's always the ability for the employer to be more generous than the law allows and allot some sort of paid family leave in addition to the employee's regular paid time off. Again, remember that FMLA is a federal law and that at least 11 states, not Virginia, North Carolina, or South Carolina, require some sort of paid family leave. Now, Barbara, to you, I give the bonus round. Awesome. Is it going to be another trick question? Um, the answer to that is yes, it is a, a trick question. Do I ever have to give employees more than 12 weeks of FMLA in a 12-month period? Hmm. Back in 93, when FMLA first came on the scene, things were pretty straightforward. If the employee could not or would not return from FMLA, then the employer was on pretty safe ground to terminate the employee. However, over time, as you might imagine, a lot has changed because with any of these laws, court cases come up fairly regularly. And so the law is sort of tweaked via the, the courts, actually. And um, there's been increasing overlap of the Americans with Disabilities Act and the FMLA. So the courts have held that extending FMLA leave for a period of time can actually be part of a reasonable accommodation under the ADA. So if you have an employee who's been out on FMLA due to their own serious health condition, including pregnancy and childbirth, and they inform you that they can't return to work after their 12-week FMLA leave due to continued disability, you as the employer can't just dismiss that and say, mm, so sorry, but you no longer have a job. At this point, you should probably review the requirements of the ADA and then um, see what your responsibilities are under that law. And moving forward, I would recommend that you seek legal advice before you take any negative action against an employee in that situation. Right. And so, Barbara, is it just me or does it seem like we've gone over a lot of information today? Yep. I think we covered a lot of territory in a fairly short time. And we certainly always hope that this will help our listeners as they navigate FMLA. We also hope that our listeners will join us for other episodes where we talk about HR, compliance and benefits topics, and even more of our favorite letters. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it, please give us a like. For comments, suggestions, or questions, please reach out to us at Town Benefits. And that's T-O-W-N-E. Our email address is townbenefitscompliance at townbenefits.com. And again, town is T-O-W-N-E. Products sold by Town Benefits are not deposits, are not insured by FDIC or any other government insurance, and they may lose value. We hope you enjoyed that legally required disclaimer and hope you have a sunny and successful day.